there's no answers at the bottom of the the bottle or the bottom of the bag. Uh, I don't care if you're shooting into your arm, snorting in your, in your nose, or or what you're doing there, or drinking it. Uh, there's no answers when you get to the bottom, uh, and that's where you're at. Is you're right on, right on the bottom, and you do it long enough, you'll have nothing left. Are you ready for stories of resilience, triumph, and transformation? Then you're in the right place. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Your host, Jason Lachance, here, where my guests and I deep dive into their journeys and how they overcame life's toughest challenges. From addiction to recovery, from adversity to success, we explore it all. And if this is your first time listening or watching the podcast, please do me a favor, hit subscribe on whatever audio podcast platform you're on. And if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and make sure you turn on the alerts to full so you get notifications every time I post content here to the channel. As you may well know, I have conversations with everyone from celebrities to everyday heroes, but this is the most personal episode I've ever released of Knocking Doors Down. This conversation was recorded around the Christmas of 2022 with my father. If you've not listened to many episodes, you might hear me make reference to a family lineage of addiction and various struggles. This was the opportunity to have a conversation with my father that maybe many other individuals who had parents who struggled with addiction never got the opportunity to do. Following this episode, uh, it was incredibly emotional for me and really tough to maintain my composure throughout. You'll hear much about my family history and lineage that really hopefully brings you some sort of hope and peace. That even through all the things that you're gonna hear that my father went through, he's been sober for over 20 years. After celebrating three years of continuous sobriety, it was time for me to release this episode. The transparency that my father and I have shared over the last three years has been a huge part of my long-term sobriety and will be for the rest of my life. I'm incredibly uh, grateful for my father to be so open and transparent. I'm grateful for you for listening. And this truly is an example of knocking doors down. Well, Dad, we're going to tell some family stories here. Holy smokes, are you ready? <laughs> oh, get out of here. Yeah, I guess so. I was thinking of where I wanted to start and... Um, a lot of people have asked me because I've mentioned a lot of different things about, you know, my childhood and, you know, the exposure to pornography and other traumas and stuff like that, that, you know, we've had a, I, I'm, I feel fortunate because some people who go through certain things never get the apology or to be able to reconcile that with a parent or whatever. And I guess one of the coolest things is that uh, we have been able to do that and have that opportunity, but I know you wanted to be able to share your story because it kind of, not kind of, but sheds light on, um, you know, we have a lineage of, of generational trauma within the family and it's, um, you know, people that think that's bullshit and not real. I mean, it carried through from your knowledge from your, your grandfather to your father, my grandfather, and then on to you and yeah, so on and so forth. You know what, son, I'd, I'd really like to start if it's okay with you, I'd like to start out at my childhood. Yes, please. Okay. My childhood, I uh, was born in Santa Maria, 
California in 1955. We shortly thereafter moved to San Luis Obispo. And my dad, uh, my dad and a no blood relative, but we always referred to as Uncle Bob, <laughs> had a truck shop and he was just, they were really, really good together. But my dad could not keep his pecker in his pants. Uh, he was taking care of the neighbor on one side and years later I found out my mom was taking care of the neighbor on the other side. But it was just, a, a, at that age I didn't realize that everything wasn't the best of the best until one night my mom got my brother and I in the car and we're gonna go uptown to where my dad's girlfriend lives and she's gonna show us there's where your dad is, right there uh, with his whore girlfriend. And yeah. you know, that's pretty traumatic at say seven, eight years old. Yeah. And uh, that over the next couple of years from seven to nine escalated into my dad ended up getting his girlfriend pregnant. So the remedy for that problem was to take a partnership with my uncle that was a very lucrative thing and move uh, 350 miles north and that was gonna make the problem go away. All they did was bring the problem with them and all of a sudden, I all the guys around my dad's truck shop are telling me, how do you like your new little brother? Well, I'm telling, I don't have a little brother. Well, yes you do. Uh, so my dad has another son and I mean, it just crushed my world. I didn't know that. And uh, uh, and he was proud of it, you know? And I said, man, I didn't know I had a brother. Well, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. And uh, then my brother and my mom come down to the Bay Area to get my brother's legs operated on. Right. And they're gone for about a three month period. During that time, my dad says, now I'm gonna share something with you, but you can't tell your mom or anybody else. But my girlfriend's gonna come up and stay with us and you'll get to meet your your new little brother. Uh, well, you can imagine at nine years old, getting told something like that. And I mean, you love your mom more than you love anything else. Yeah. And that just turned me upside down. Uh, Christ almighty, what a up thing to do to your son. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we'll run forward a little bit, a couple years forward. Uh, I'm uh, I'm sneaking my dad's magazine. Who, by the way, it was a Carol Dota had Carol Dota uh, had the biggest tits you ever seen, <laughs> and she had her own strip club in San Francisco. Uh. And you know she was famous at that time. She probably still is. And you know, I mean, I would take that magazine and by the way a friend of mine showed me uh, showed a bunch of us how to jack off at nine years old so I'm grabbing the magazine and I'm heading for the bathroom when I think nobody's around uh, to jerk off uh, so and that's uh, we're living up on this on the north coast up around Fort Bragg at that time yeah so then then we moved to Pass Robles and it was okay for about six months. And then my dad uh, dissolved the partnership 
with two other guys he was in with, uh, he moves to Salinas, 100 miles north. And my brother is so unruly, my dad takes my brother with him. And so my mom's a truck stop waitress, and uh, pretty soon she's bringing, her, bringing home her married boyfriend, and her married boyfriend's telling me, he tells me one night, he says, you know, if your mom and I just didn't have the best sex life, he says, we wouldn't have any kind of relationship because I don't even really like her, but I really like the sex. And I'm thinking, what an asshole. Yeah. Uh, so my mom's trying to keep that thing going, and this guy drives truck, and she's going with him on the truck. So I, there's a, uh, I won't call him a friend of mine because he damn sure wasn't. Uh, he was a pedophile, and uh, he saw an opportunity with me. Uh, uh, he owned him. And he lived with his parents. They owned a ranch out east of Paso Robles, and I would go out there sometimes, spend a week during the summer, a couple of weeks or whatever. And uh, uh, you can imagine, at 11 years old. Uh, the things that happened there, uh, things that happened there that reshaped the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, because number one, being a or an A, you kind of uh, you're getting made up because you have a girl's name that wears on you. Yeah. And then uh, uh, to have somebody that's secretly molesting you, but you don't want to tell anybody because you feel so ashamed of yourself. And it has not a damn thing to do with you. It's a son of a that does it to you, and it and so it spun me off into a dark world uh, of pornography, uh, horse, you name it. It happened, and then I met my wife, and I thought, oh, wow, this is it, most beautiful woman I've ever seen, and. It was just fabulous. So we get together, we get married. I didn't think another woman existed for about the first six years. And we did a lot of things together. Uh, we bought a fancy home together. We had two beautiful kids. I was working night and day, it seems like sometimes seven days a week. And uh, after a year after our second son was born, she started, me. <laughs> she started pushing me away. And uh, so that led me back into the world of the whores and, and the pornography. Uh, and it just escalated beyond, uh, escalated from there. And then I got into taking Benzedrine pills to work the hours and I'll never forget the Benja Dream pills started drying up. You yeah. couldn't buy them anywhere. And, uh, uh, and those were over the counter at the time, right? No, the they were store? black was market. That, was that the black market? Black book? market. That's the only good ones. What and was the, the one? It was like that. Uh, there was the other ones. I remember the, Ep the epidrine sulfate. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't you know, they were like. Uh, taking an aspirin, I guess, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I want to pause real quick. Guys. I think it's important for people to understand. So when you met mom and got married, 
you were 17 years old and grandma literally had to sign the marriage certificate if i remember correctly yep she sure did yeah, yeah. and by the and time i was born you were 22 22 your mom when we got married she was she turned 21 in december we got married the following february and i was 17. right so when your brother was born i was 18 uh and then when you were born i was 22. right so yeah so yeah. you know your brain's not even fully matured yet at that age you know 25 26 is about when it is and you know a lot of stuff that you know people we think about different organs but not our our brains and you know you're dealing obviously with the the trauma you laid it out in a, in a broad way um but you know i was about four years old and things really started to kick in because you know the brain all of a sudden will want to deal with those things but you didn't have coping mechanisms because as you displayed you know i love my grandparents i had a great i had a great relationship but you know they like you said up until about seven it was okay but after that you know greatly changed yeah it was uh you know what if uh if my dad had kept his his dick to himself and who knows uh, because I went through probably similar experiences that my dad went through. Yeah. Maybe my mom didn't want him. Maybe that's what made him go elsewhere. I just don't know. Uh, we could never talk intimately about that because he was so proud of the fact that uh, uh, he was proud up to his dying day that uh, uh, I used to call it a curse, and he called it a blessing that, you know, he could go anywhere and pretty much do whatever he wanted to. You know, he always had a willing participant. Yeah. And uh, and I guess I thought the same way. Uh, I was so full of uh, I had myself in my mind built up to be somebody that I could never, uh, that I don't even want to be. Yeah. Uh, I don't even want to be anymore. Uh, uh, but running the story back forward, uh, after the pills started drying up, I got into methamphetamine or crank, right. whatever you want to call it. And anybody that's done crank long term is a sex maniac or a sexual maniac of some kind. Uh, it will twist your brain. Uh, you won't. You wouldn't even think about things that you would openly do. Yeah without that that is definitely the work of the devil uh christ almighty and, and like my dad i found a a willing participant and uh, i spent probably about four years with that woman off and on and uh it just uh it just life for me and for her spiraled out of control and always remember something about drugs. It's like being on a spiral in a whirlwind and the spiral never goes up. It's always going down and it'll drive you right into your grave. So always, always remember that. Uh, it was the ugliest damn thing uh, looking back on it. I just, uh, 
uh, it's been hard to even come up with a concept of forgiving myself. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira, now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. I can forgive everybody else. Uh, I seen a guy at, uh, went to a truck show yesterday. There was a guy there that beat me out of 30,000 bucks. And uh, I went up, shook hands with him, and we talked for a while. I thanked him for being at the show. Uh, it, it was pretty crazy, so I don't have a hard time forgiving uh, people for that. Uh, have a hard time forgiving myself. I even had to come to grips with the man that molested me to forgive him. Yeah. I went to his funeral to make sure he was actually dead, and I secretly wanted to sneak back to the cemetery and piss on his grave. <laughs> I can't uh, which, say which, I blame you. Which, you know, I'm sure you can understand. Yeah. Uh, but, my God, I'll tell you, uh, just so much, so much carnage as you, as you go through life as a drug addict. Uh, uh, the path of destruction you leave. And uh, I have a very dear friend of mine, and I know as well as I'm doing this podcast today, that he's still using, and uh, I love him to death. And uh, he's always questioning, well, why is my wife mad at me? Why is she so short with me? (laughs) (laughs) And I told him, I said, because you lie about every thing. Every word you come out of her mouth, comes out of your mouth to her, you lie about. I said, you can't tell the truth. I said, you don't even tell me the truth. and that really hurt somebody I've been friends with that long to tell me the lies that he's told me as of late. I told him, I said, you know, if you're going to lie to me, if you can't come clean to me, stay the fuck away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. And that hurt me to tell him that, but it's just the way I feel. You know, my commitment to sobriety now is is strong that I don't I don't want to I don't want that anymore in my life. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, but the event with you and seeing some family members that still partake in the booze and they got out of control. And you know me, I checked right the f- out before I opened my mouth to say something that uh, they didn't want to hear. I wouldn't have felt bad about it. Hell no. They didn't want to hear it, you know. And that, it's not, and it's pointless to do because they're not going to listen, you know. Yeah. It, it has to come to their terms, and you know, but. I think one of the interesting things that you you bring up, you know, because it wasn't just grandpa, but grandma struggled with prescription meds and things as well. Um, but and with yourself, it's uh, as I like to preach, there are no outside solutions to an inside problem. And not only do will we drink up everything, snort up things, we'll also snort up people as well, looking to 
fill or avoid that thing that sits inside that's a self-loathing I don't know how else to put it not liking ourselves oh man and you know and I've even thought of as of late uh, because I've been paralyzed for almost five years now in an accident two accidents the first one that paralyzed me and I regained the use of my right arm and I could walk in a swimming pool and I was on my way I think to make a pretty decent recovery I got into a second accident we got rear-ended in a car accident that broke my neck and broke my back and it took me right back to square one where except now I can't use either arm uh, or either hand I can use my right hand enough to run a power wheelchair and I can stand up uh, with some help uh, to get my clothes on and off with But other than that, I'm totally dependent on somebody to feed me, uh, scratch my nose uh, behind my ear or whatever. Uh, I can scratch my belly and I can can almost reach my pubic hair, (laughs) but I can't, damn sure can't scratch my nuts. So I'm in a situation where I got 24-7 care for the damnedest of things. I wake up in the middle of the night and I got two women that work opposite each other, and I'll wake them up for the damnedest thing. You know, my ear itches, or or I need a drink of water, or whatever that, uh, well, and I don't even know where I was going with that, but well, I you guess know. It's, uh, talking I'm, about we have codependency, and then you want to be independent and. Oh, shit. And, you know, I've looked for ways to. Uh, gracefully bow out of this life uh, but I don't want to shut off my opportunity to go ahead go to heaven and reunite with my family later on down the road I really want that opportunity and I truly believe in God and what he has for us uh, otherwise I'd be looking for a line to do right now and it would probably be a, a deciding factor, put me over the edge with all the other stuff I take. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's overwhelming at times. I try to occupy my mind and uh, BS with guys about the old days when I drove truck and uh, the different experiences I've had. And uh, I recently had a friend of mine that uh, uh, blew up the motor in his truck and he called me and I gave him a really good book that I had that explained it all but he would work on it two or three hours a day and he would call me every evening (laughs) and I would talk to him about what he had done that day and what he should do the next day the next step and I could read that I could recite that book to you page by page and it's not because I read and memorized the book. It's because I've done the work and I know how to do the work. Uh, and I really enjoyed leading him step by step. And I, when he told me, well, I got it running. Runs good. I said, sure, you can't tear it apart again so we can keep talking. Uh, in fact, uh, this truck show that we just had, a friend of mine from Oregon blew his truck up 100 miles from the house. 
and I had had an extra engine book, so I gave it to him with another book and some other literature I wanted him to have, some old Peterbilt literature, and I said, boy, I knew I was giving you that book for a reason, but I didn't realize that was a reason for it. So I said, man, I would really like the opportunity to help you on the phone uh, with things that lead you through down the path to fixing that thing. And he really appreciated that. And I'm really looking forward to that time yeah. talking with him. Yeah. How did you with uh, grandma and grandpa kind of reconcile any of that and find peace with it? Well, you know, my dad and I, I worked for my dad from about the time. Uh, when I left Paso Robles and I moved to Salinas, I went to work for my dad full time in the shop. I worked for him over the summer. I was probably 13 years old, something like that. Yeah. 13, 14 years old. And uh, I worked for him over the summer and it came the fall to go to school and he says, aren't you going to go to school? And I was pretty, uh, pretty full of myself. I told him, I said, I ain't going to school. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, he said, uh, you know what that means, don't you? And I said, well, why don't you uh, tell me? So I got it down pat. And he said, well, I'm not going to support you. And I said, well, from what I can see, I said, you haven't supported me since I've been about nine fucking years old, so why should you start now? Uh, I said, you just, uh, you know, you'd buy me a meal here or there. I said, I bought all my own because I worked for it. I wanted to buy a pair of pants and a shirt. Uh, somebody either gave me some hand-me-downs or I went and bought my own. I said, so nothing's gonna change there. And uh, he told me, he said, well, if you're not going to school, better get started. And I had already had my own tools and stuff. And he had a truck repair shop. I don't know if I had thrown that in there. So I worked for him from the time I was uh, 13, 14 on, and then uh, I got married to my wife, and I had bought a truck, and I was gonna put it together and then sell it. And I was gonna use that money to buy a, uh, make a down payment on a house. Now when we talk truck, we just to let people know they might think a pickup truck. No, we're talking about a big rig. A yeah, a big diesel truck, yeah. And uh, about the time I had that truck running, it by no means was painted or fixed up, but I had it running. My dad and my brother uh, had one of the worst fights you could ever see a, uh, a son and his dad get into. I mean, knocking each other out and yeah. stuff. And I told my wife, I, I said, I, I can't do this. I just can't be around it. So I took that truck and uh, I went to work up in the Bay Area, up in San Jose. and. Uh, and I, that's how I got started trucking was, yeah. uh, was at that point there. So. Well, and that was, so that was 1974? That, 1973. Three. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't San Jose when people think San Jose. Yeah. It wasn't the San Jose then that it is now. Oh no, there was three stoplights on Highway 101 going through San Jose. Could you imagine nowadays, you're going up 101 and it says, 
please stop ahead. <laughs> Prepare to stop because there's going to be a red light. The traffic would back up for 50 miles. <laughs> Christ almighty. And it was it was pretty bad then. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's... And uh, uh, so I lived in Salinas, and I would drive my truck all the way to Santa Clara, uh, Bobtail, just the truck itself. And I would hook on to trailers there and work all over the Bay Area. And we'd come back, unhook the trailers, and drive my truck home. Well, I'd always leave an hour early in the morning and not much traffic going north in the morning because I'd leave super early. But coming home at night was two and a half, three hours every night. Uh, so man, I put in a lot of hours for a little bit of money. Uh, but hell, I wanted to drive trucks so bad, I'd have done it for free, you know? <laughs> I would have literally had done it for free. Oh, well, I always wondered where I got that from. People asked me, why did you intern in radio for a year and a half? Well, it's what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and if you do something you like to do, uh, it's not really a job. It's just something you enjoy doing, and hopefully it pays enough to pay the bills, you know? Have you dug into the archives of past Knocking Doors Down podcast episodes? The Knocking Doors Down podcast archive is available to you for free. Check it out. Here's a snippet from when Charlie Sheen was on the podcast. AA is not the best place for um, for, <laughs> for a famous atheist. Uh, <laughs> just, I kept looking for that fucking chapter. What, you know? So, yeah, um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, sure, you yeah. know? It's like, it's like saying that we all think the same, like our brains are built the same. They're just not. Right. Yeah. There's, there's such uniqueness involved. Check out this episode and so many more in the Knockin' Doors Down archive. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If it's Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. And if it's Spotify, hey, please leave that five-star rating. I'm seeing a real nice uptick in listenership to Knockin' Doors Down. Please share with somebody else you think will get value out of the podcast. Well, let's jump into a kind of early, uh, you know, I think it's important to share is uh, I don't remember talking about it on any episodes too much but uh, I was a pretty spoiled kid because because uh, you know one thing I know we we've had our some of our different conversations and 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 you know we've made any peace with anything and I feel so blessed to do that you know and that we've built a relationship and and got to be close and have a real closeness and an intimacy and I you know I don't just mean that through just regular relationship but a spiritual relationship and connection and to be able to develop that which came after you know my seeking of sobriety but um, I think it's important to share I know you were joking around with some friends that I should have left the shop and went up and watched TV with my son but um, I mean, you you know, you built a hell of a business. Yeah, you know, I had a uh, had a trucking business, and and I found myself just working in the shop, working on all the crap that guys tore up. And I'd see you walk, get off the school bus, and and you'd start walking up the hill towards <laughs> the house. You'd be dragging your coat, and I I'd, I'd go up and check on you. Say, why don't you come down to the shop? You'd say, Dad, I'm so tired. I I just want to, I just want to take a nap. Well, taking a nap meant uh, probably a bowl of cereal, and and cartoons, or a video game. Uh, 
you know, so very, very few trips were made to the shop. Uh, and hell, I could have, I could have took my coveralls off or whatever and washed my hands and went up there, just sit there and, and watch cartoons with you. Yeah. God knows that's what I do now. I, <laughs> I watch cartoons every day from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. Or, or, yeah, well, yeah, 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. Every single day, you know, that's uh, uh, and, and it's really cool. I love cartoons well, and, and Saturday morning cartoons. But, you know, you asked me about the relationship with my parents, and I kind of spun off there. My dad and I, because I worked for him in a man's capacity, uh, him and I got to be great friends, not father and son. We got to be great friends. Right. And we often would jokingly say we should have been brothers instead of uh, son and father. And uh, uh, we had a lot of a lot of fun. We did a, we did a lot of together, chased horse together, and <laughs> all that kind of crap that we should have never done. But we always had a nucleus of our love for trucks. Uh, and, uh, you know, that carried us through. That was that was the whole basis for our, our friendship and our love for each other. Uh, now, my mom, my mom was a, uh, she was a tough case. <laughs> uh, she moved, the day my wife and I got married, the next day she moved with her boyfriend to Alaska. Yeah. So she spent 30 years up there and then she moves back down to the lower 48. She has all her stuff shipped to my house so it takes up almost all of my garage to take to put her stuff in. So she rents a little house around the corner from where, he li- where we live. I said, you live with us for free. No, that wasn't good enough. And uh, she knew my wife and I were having trouble. So she rents a house and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, my wife and I would go over and take her places, do things with her. Uh, none that uh, she ever thought was actually good enough. She always wanted to change something. Yeah. We took her and her sister to Arizona uh, for vacation one year. We did every damn thing you could do down there, from Sedona to uh, Prescott to uh, Phoenix and all over. We did lots and lots of things. And then uh, I got my wife and I got ready to move to Northern California. So we bought a house that actually has two houses. There's a main house and there's a granny house. Uh, and this granny house, it's not like you would think. It's a full-blown house. Yeah, two bedroom, one bath, uh, big living room, uh, dining area, kitchen, and uh, so that was going to be in my mom's house. So uh, we had all the stuff moved up here, and we told my my mom we were moving to Red Bluff, and uh, asked her if she wanted to come with us. And she said, "Well, yeah," but she was losing her place at where she lived. They were gonna. They wanted her out, and uh, so my wife put all of her stuff in this house and uh, moved her up here, and we walked in, said, just your new home. Mom opened the door, all of her furniture's here, her bed, everything. Uh, 
And the first words out of her mouth, it needs another window. And I, I looked at her, I said, well, son of a bitch, there's nothing you can't appreciate anything like it is. It always has to be changed. Yeah. And that, you know, it was that way, as far as I can remember, nothing was ever good enough. It always had to be changed for her. And I finally, I finally got the point that I would get so pissed off at her. Sometimes I'd go for a week, I wouldn't talk to her. Uh, I just didn't want to listen to her bullshit. Uh, but, you know, uh, after a fashion, my brother moved up into this area and she bought my brother a mobile home. Yeah. She bought him a mobile home. Yeah, well, and I and, think it's important to point out, yeah. so your brother, uh, since they died of addiction, I mean, it didn't directly kill him, but he was hopped up and yeah passed out and caught his place on fire but i think that's important for people to understand for oh relevance. sure it was it was his addiction that killed him yeah yeah it wasn't a fire yeah uh because any any man in his right mind wouldn't have wouldn't have had uh wouldn't have been on oxygen lighting a cigarette uh and the oxygen uh the cigarette accelerated the oxygen or vice versa, he caught his mobile home on fire yeah. and burned him up right there in it. He was so loaded that he couldn't he couldn't get out. They found him about halfway to the door from where they knew he was sitting on a couch. So, uh, but of course my mom blamed herself for that. She should have done something better for him and, uh, you know, blamed herself. When he died, she died five months later. And I knew that was coming. I just knew that was going to happen. And uh, uh, but my mom and I, you know, we we never really made peace with each other. Uh, I told her about the uh, molesting that went on. Oh, she said that didn't happen. And I said, well, it didn't happen in your mind because you weren't there. Yeah. You just want to believe what you want to believe. And you don't want to grab a hold of it because you're afraid it'll hurt you and who you think you've been. And I said, as far as a mom, you were a shit mom. I said, you were the best of the best. And at nine years old, somebody come along and turn the switch the other way. And it went as good as it was to as, as bad as it could be. I said, you didn't give a shit about me. The only thing I was was a noose around your neck uh, so you couldn't do what you wanted with your with your stud boyfriend. Yeah. You were more worried about his swinging dick than anything else. So said you should have looked out for me, but you didn't. But now at this point in time, I always look out for you. And I said you don't even appreciate that. And I'm not sure she ever appreciated it. Although she did tell a couple of friends of hers. She says when I really need something, Renee's always there for me to take care of me. But she never told me that, not one time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's really an important thing. I, I had a friend that his dad talked to me and he said, oh, I'm so proud of my son who he struggled with addiction as well. And I said, have you ever told him that? And he said, he knows. And I said, bullshit. Tell him. He doesn't know. Shit, no, he don't know. If you don't tell him, he don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, he might think he knows, but he doesn't know. Hell no, he don't yeah. know. You know? I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud that you drove a stake in the ground and you said, hey, I'm not going any further with this. You know? I'm also uh, proud of the fact that you're making some changes uh, in your, I guess it, it's your personal life. Uh, because I, I, at one time, I didn't think you had any balls uh, and I was gonna have mine cut off and <laughs> send them to you uh, uh, so that you would take charge of things, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I say that jokingly. Uh, and, I, and I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. No, it's okay. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's it just the way I felt, you know. Well, uh, I think, you know, you talk about, just to flash back, the, you know, kid drained uh, coming home, dragging his backpack and coat already up the driveway. You know, I was, I don't know, what was I, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all in there. I was already struggling with being... Um, you know in public as is as i've shared on here you know pornography was in the house you shared your there was already things within me at that point that didn't feel right that i yeah. didn't like you know yeah. um so it was you know and so what i came through all that was becoming a people pleaser and i've had to learn hey look you don't like who i am that's okay we don't have to intermingle and if you don't like my boundaries well i don't give a yeah, and definitely through sobriety and doing the work and um, knowing that I'm worthwhile of the life that I want to build and also having that connection to a higher power that I do business for has helped bring that on that everything's going to be okay some it's going to suck some of it's going to hurt but I I've gotten through worse and if I can continue to do that sober then I'm not you know I'm not worried about it. I'm, I, I will be able to deal with it. I've dealt the tools to process it, uh, you know, within myself. I don't look, again, outside solutions to an inside problem. So, it, you know, it just yeah. it took some time. But You, you know what? I, I think a lot of people get disillusioned. They come to God or, or if they call it a higher power, they think everything's going to be a rose garden and it's going to be a cakewalk. That's when the real stuff begins because you have nothing, you're not medicating yeah. yourself around it. That's when you got to confront things on their terms. Yep. Life on life's terms, you want to call it that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and sometimes it don't feel very good, and I'll guarantee you it does not taste very good either. Yeah. No. No. Do we want to talk about meeting Anna, Anna Nicole Smith? <laughs> I just oh, say that because, because you know, uh, let's. Uh, I, I think it's pertinent because uh, you know I have very vague memories of of treatment when you went to rehabilitation. You went two places or three? Oh, shit. I've been to five. Okay, I uh, remember. I remember yeah. two. I remember you know fill my finger, and I remember Betty Ford Clinic because Anna Nicole Smith I, was there, and I she went like, to, ha. How are you? I went to I went to Betty Ford Center, and uh, I was there three or four days, and all of a sudden, all these guys are talking. Anna Nicole Smith is here, and uh, and one day uh, I'm going down the hall, and Anna Nicole Smith, she looks like E.T. She was all hooded up, all covered up. She didn't want anybody to realize who yeah. she was. 
and I picked up on who she was right away and I said, hey, how you doing, Nana? And she looks up at me like, like, fuck you, leave me alone <laughs> type of deal. And I remember telling the guys in my, uh, I guess my barracks, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, that I seen her that day. This one guy was telling me how pretty she was and, and I just laughed. That's when she married that 80 or 90 year old man. Right. And I told him, I said, I'm gonna tell you something, you dumbass. I said, how do you how pretty you think she looks when she got that old man's stuck in her mouth? <laughs> I says, what do you think of that? And he wanted to fight me there. I said, well, bring it on, old timer. We can do a little round here if you want. <laughs> but I had all the other guys laughed. He told me, he said, I was a sick bastard. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll guarantee you that. Uh, but yeah, I spent uh, 11 days at Betty Ford Center and uh, they had a meeting with me one day and they said, uh, we don't think we can help you. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, you have a dual addiction. Yeah. I says, uh, wow, okay, whip this one on me. They said, you're not only uh, a drug addict, but you're also a, a sex addict too. And I started laughing. I, I said, no shit. I says, uh, I've never seen anybody that took meth that wasn't, I said, man or woman, it didn't make any difference. A woman, you give a woman a line, she will do anything in her power to get another one. Yeah. Uh, just how it is. And uh, so they sent me from that place. They said, we're going to send you across town to a place called Michael's Place. And there's no women at that facility except for some counselors. And the policy was you couldn't use the phone for 10 days at a facility. Well, I figured I had already spent 10 days at Betty Ford Center, so I'd already used the phone for a day. And uh, so I go to the new place. I figure, man, that, that ought to be good for credit here. And uh, so I told one of the guys, I said, you watch out. And I said, I'm going to make a phone call. and. Uh, uh, I said, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to deal with the bulls. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm on the phone and the, one of the counselors comes and taps me on the shoulder. And I remember one of them old style phone, phone pay phones that had a long stainless steel cord on it for the, for the handpiece. And uh, I just reached around and I grabbed him. I grabbed him and I took that cord and I, and I wrapped it around his neck, and I'm choking that so much. I'm gonna pinch his head off with that cord. And I said, ah, bullshit, I mean, I'm pissed off. And the guys come over and got the cord unwrapped and whatnot, and I told them, I said, don't be here tonight. I said, if you spend the night here, you're not gonna wake up in the morning. And I meant every word of it, too. I mean, my mind was that far twisted up over that dope, I would, I, I'm just the easiest going guy. I mean, I got a, I got a limitation. <laughs> the same I mean, I'll, I'll open up a can of whip ass, but you're gonna have to push me to that point. Uh, uh, but it, it was, that was something I would never tell a human being that I was gonna kill him yeah. or physically harm him. And uh, uh, so that, that part of my life, I'm really, really ashamed of. Uh, 
So I was over at that Michael's house for a very few days, and they called my wife, and of course the first thing they told her, well, we think he's been calling his girlfriend. So uh, they put your mom on the phone, and I tell her, I said, I remember telling her, you get your ass down here, and you get me. I mean, I'm full of anger then. You get down here and you get me. Because I said, if I have to hitchhike home, you're not going to like it when I get home. So she hopped on an airplane, came down and got me. And uh, I was okay for about a day. And I got back home. And uh, first thing I did was uh, have a line. And uh, second thing I did was get my pickup and uh, go chasing. So... Well, that was the number. That was a. Uh, that was number two rehab, one and two. Then I went to uh, two outpatient ones. I went down to a, a place in Salinas, and it was an open type of deal, an NA-based meeting, but people could come off the street. It was a mixed crowd, and yeah. and I remember at the first break, uh, this old fat chick come up and nudged me. She said. Hey, follow me in the bathroom. When I come out, you go in. I'll leave you a little something on the back of the toilet there. And I walked in there, and here's a big line of crank. And uh, and I'm thinking, what the hell? Why the hell do you even bother coming to a meeting if yeah. that's what you want to do? Of course, I'm not one to pass up a line. I went ahead and did it. Uh, and then I ended up going to a, a place called the camp up in Scotts Valley. Uh, and I really liked the camp, but it was an outpatient deal. And uh, I was trying to, in the midst, starting uh, a landscape supply business along with my trucking business. And some nights I just couldn't make it over there. So I wasn't dedicated to the meeting. And so therefore I wasn't getting the help I needed and uh, was all based around 12-step recovery. Right. So then I kept out, kept digging me a, a deeper hole and a deeper hole. And uh, I got exposed to a guy named Andy Moore. And Andy Moore worked for an outfit called Narconon. And uh, Narconon is a most whacked out, bunch of crazy son of a bitch you ever entertained in your life. It's all based around the works of L. Ron Hubbard, who's a Scientologist. Right. And that's uh, just totally... Uh, L. Ron Hubbard stole stuff from the Bible, put his twist on it, and he thinks he's invented it, which is all bullshit. Uh, but anyhow, I, I liked, <laughs> yeah. anyhow, I liked it. I liked Andy, and he said, uh, the first time I met him, he said, Mother when are you going to quit this shit? And that's how he talked to me the whole time I was there. I was there, went and checked into his program. I was there five and a half months. I was the only son of a bitch in that whole facility that could not, I could leave and go to town, but I had to take two other students with me. Because he, he said, I know you, you son of a bitch. You leave here by yourself, and you're going to want to go get some pussy and then you'll be all screwed up again. And you know, he knew me like a book. Yeah. Uh, he knew me so, so well. 
And, you know, I owe a lot to Andy uh, because he saved my life. Uh, he saved my life. He kept kicking me in the ass. And uh, uh, he was he was an asshole to me, uh, but he was good to me. Uh, now, Andy, like very few people, including his wife, uh, one night he stuck her <laughs> head through the wall. I oh, pissed Lord. off at her. So he was a crazy bastard. But... Uh, once a week, he'd uh, he had a little Mazda Miata. He said, come on, let's go to town. So we'd go to town, we'd go to dinner, go here, go there. Uh, I remember one night he took me down to the free clinic. He said, I want you to get an AIDS test. And I said, man, I don't, I don't think I need one of those. He said, I didn't ask you, he said, I told you. Uh, so I went and got that and uh, thank God that everything uh, Thank God through all of my lifestyle of bullshit that I didn't come down with something. Yeah. Because uh, the person I was running with uh, was also running equally as hard. Yeah. And uh, was pretty crazy shit. Yeah. Uh, so when I got out of when I got out of that rehab, things uh, uh, I had taken my cousin in to help me run my business, and I made him a deal that. I would give him 5% a year for free, and he could draw the same wages that I drew if he just stayed there and helped me run the business. And in a way, I think uh, that gave me carte blanche to do, uh, I could do what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't show up for three or four days. I just didn't show up. But it also, uh, when I got out of rehab and I came back, uh, the first three or four days were really tough. And uh, one morning I called him and I said, man, I said, I, I worked till six o'clock last night. And he starts cussing at me because he went home at five. And uh, I said, so I'm not gonna come in uh, right away this morning. He said, well, why don't you just don't even come in at all? He said, I've been running this thing without you anyway. And I said, well, that's fine. So I just, I just sat around the house, watched TV for a couple weeks. And uh, I went over and I, I told him, I said, you know, uh, you act like you got big boy pants on, so you want to buy me out? I said, I'll finance you. And that was an absolute disaster. The day I made a deal with him, he starts ordering some new s***. Uh, he's going to buy a new set of dump boxes, and he's going to buy a truck, and he's going to do this. And, and uh, I had some pretty good info that you know guys call me one outfit called me and they said well are you going to sign these loan documents for these new traders i said we ain't buying no new traders well we got them on order for you they're going to be painted here in a few days i said well you better you better shut the switch off there buddy because i ain't signing and he ain't got no credit he ain't got nothing without me and and uh, so uh that deal uh, just unraveled right quick and I ended up selling it to a friend of mine and I kicked myself in the ass ever since thinking that I should have toughed it out. But I know as well as I'm sitting here right now with my son, it would have led me right back into, uh, I'd, I'd have been right back in the bag because yeah. I'd have been so overwhelmed uh, trying to resurrect that business. Cause it had gotten run down pretty good. 
uh, over the time that I wasn't there and the last couple of years that I was there. You know, I didn't take care of nothing. Was yeah. in pretty, uh, pretty bad shape. You know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, because for a lot of that time, so throughout all this, you know, I didn't, I didn't really see you that much. It, no. it took a long. Well, I'd say my early twenties before we had any sort of reconciliation and yeah. relationship of any kind. Yeah. But when did you really think that um, you need break, Dad? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um. When do you think, though, it, what what really kind of finally stuck, though? Like, when did it stick that this is that that you could be solid in sobriety? Because I know you and Mom eventually started going to church when I was about 24, 23, 24. I think I was living in Monterey at the time. So, what were some of those things that that helped? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely uh, uh, going to church, and I I love the guys that I went to church with and the pastor of the church and I still am in contact with him uh, every week we talk. We we haven't talked for about three now because I've been trying to help Eric get ready for this truck show. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we talk and we, we talk about things in life. We pray together and uh, uh, you know what, if you're down on your knees, uh, every morning and every night and reading out of his word and you take that internal and internalize it you don't have enough capacity in your mind to go get loaded you know you just keep reading his word staying in his word and and you'll you'll go right down the path you'll go right down the path he has for you uh but you don't make a daily commitment to do that yeah well, you have to get committed to something else as much as you were in seeking your fix, whatever that may be. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate after I moved to Northern California. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get back in the trucking business. and But I just I just bought one truck and, and uh, I just, I did it. Uh, uh, the day I got hurt, I was hauling a load to, to Oregon. And, uh, you know, so I just, uh, I was really blessed that I could do that. And I didn't have to work too hard. And uh, and I enjoyed every day. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it broke my heart when I sold my last truck and it drove out the driveway. I was really hurt. I got teary-eyed over a truck. You can imagine that, you know. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Well, anything else you want to throw in there? Uh, Maybe we left out. Oh, geez, son, there, <laughs> there's so many. Well, we don't have to tell war stories. I think I got I think your son's got all he can handle. There's so many little details that uh, you know. I I I don't know that they the little details need to be shared but no uh but boy i just uh i want the people that listen to this uh to take away from it that uh there's just there's no life in drugs or alcohol there's no there's no answers at the bottom of the 
the bottle or the bottom of the bag. Uh, I don't care if you're shooting into your arm, snorting in your, in your nose, or, or what you're doing there, or drinking it. Uh, there's no answers when you get the bottom. Uh, and that's where you're at, is you're right on, right on the bottom. And you do it long enough, you'll have nothing left uh, to get yourself going again. So why not save the grief that you're going to create for yourself and cut it off early, turn it around. Find you a good, a good group of people you're comfortable with, whether that's a, an AA group, an NA group, a church group. I suggest men uh, get into a, a men-only group yep. and women a women-only group because I'll tell you what, uh, us addicts and alcoholics, we're f***ed up individuals. We're really f***ed up in the head and we have some weird ideas. And if we get somebody to kind of entice those ideas, we're off and running. So I really like people to get a hold of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's any of the things, as you mentioned, there's, you know, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and, uh, you know, Debtors Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, whatever it is that's holding you down, there's there's a way out there. And if it's not in your area, you can do it virtually. And, you know, that there there is a path out and there is a path where you can not only love yourself but like yourself and be proud of the life that you uh, build and the goals that you're going for. And remember, if you're a man, you're the one that has to look into the mirror to shave yourself. And if you don't like who you are and you can't look in the mirror, you're going to end up looking mighty ragged in the end. That's the reason these guys are all scarred up and They can't face themselves in the mirror to shave. Okay, that's all I got. Is that all you got? That's all I got. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to do this. I truly am. And thank you uh, for being here this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Right on. This episode, uh, of course, normally I have random questions and ask someone, you know, leave with the final thoughts and such, but. Um, just didn't feel right doing that with my dad, but I'm so grateful that he really wanted to share his story to hopefully resonate with somebody else and let them know that there's hope. Um, if you are just listening, you didn't see that my father is in a wheelchair. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, of course, you, you did catch that, but um, he's one of the brightest, most brilliant, loving, kind, compassionate, and yet, hard-ass people I've ever known. And um, I couldn't ask for a, a better father, and I'm really grateful. Thank you for checking out this episode of Knocking Doors Down. It's very special to me and very near and dear to my heart. And I would like to thank again Carlos Vieira, who's given me the opportunity over the past almost five years to do this podcast. And um, it's really such an honor. And I've got a lot more exciting things for you coming your way thank you so much and on that note remember no outside solutions to inside problems and keep knocking doors down <laughs>